be a good for all of us to join in and enthusiastically say the books of the Bible. Just like, you know, we're excited about it. Let's just do that real quick. Everybody, one, two, three. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. See? 
Exodus 7 through 12. Okay, the Ten, the ten Commandments. Yes. Exodus 20. Exodus 20. Exodus. Hannah. All right, Hannah's son was Samuel, right? That was her first child, so it's first Samuel 1. That's just how I did it. All right, David fights to lie. First Samuel 17. He wasn't 17 foot tall, right? Okay, Hannah's leprosy. Second Kings 5. And then I'm going down to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Okay. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. All right, quickly. Creation. Okay, flood. Sodom and Gomorrah. Joseph sold by his brothers. Okay, plagues. 7 through 12. Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. Hannah. Okay, David fights a lot. First time you said it. And Naaman's leprosy. Second Kings 5. And then the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Excellent, excellent. All right, y'all are doing very good. All right, let's close out with other questions. What's true success in life? What's true failure in life? What's God's ideal for marriage? And why were you made? Because God made you. What does that mean about you? And tomorrow, school. Yay, right? But what are you going to do all day long? I will do my best, never give up, and let God take care of the rest. And I'll always remember that right is always One, two, three. Jesus loves me. One and two. Jesus loves me. Three and four. He loves you more. One and two. He loves me Five, six, seven. If you have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper uh, and uh, you weren't able to this morning, if you'll go right now to the little chapel, you'll be served at this time. And I apologize for neglecting to mention that in the beginning. I had it written down, but I didn't look at it. So anyhow, I apologize. But we are uh, glad you're here tonight. And, uh, it seems to me that we've got an unusual number of guests with us for a Sunday evening, and we want you to know how glad we are that you're here. It's an honor to have you with us, and uh, we hope that you'll come back and worship with us anytime that you can, and you know, perhaps give us a chance before you leave uh, to get to know you better. Couple of announcements that I want to uh, emphasize. Our food pantry and clothes closet is going to be opened up this coming Thursday, and uh, that's from nine until 10.30. We've got an excellent group uh, who works in that, but we're always needing more help. If you would like to just check that out, uh, we'd love to see you. And the pantry item for this month is cooking oil. And we certainly could use that if you can bring some of that. I do want to remind all of you of the Freed Harvard University lectureship that begins tonight at 7.30 and it will continue through Thursday night. It's kind of in our backyard, you know, about an hour or so from here. And uh, it's a wonderful lectureship. If you haven't seen the program, 
Uh, so if you've got an opportunity to go up there and spend a day or an evening, it would be well worth your time. And of course, uh, a lot of our folks are going to be heading up there on Wednesday uh, to work in the associate's kitchen. So uh, we'll be looking forward to that. That's all the announcements that I have. Uh, will you please bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all you do for us. We're so thankful for uh, your son that gave his life on the cross for our sins. Father, there are many on our minds that are sick, those who are recovering from surgery, those that will have surgery. We pray that you would, would bless them as only you can. We also, again, Father, ask that you be with those who continue to grieve over the loss of loved ones. Father, we again pray for the church here at Boonville. We pray for her success, the growth, uh, and the encouragement of the church here. We pray that we'll continue to be a shining light in this community. Help us in our Bible classes tonight. Father, help us to learn and help us to apply what we learn to our lives in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's sing our theme song again as teachers go to class, all right? We're reaching forward to serve our Father. We're reaching forward to serve our God. We're reaching forward to spread the gospel. We're reaching forward to share his love. Philippians.
So you don't want to get too close to me. <laughs> Ooh, gross. Well, that's the way it is. So behind the scenes stuff. Okay. We're going to go over our sick folks. And if you have someone that you would like to add, we'll do that at the end. Or if you have an update about somebody that I mentioned, that will be great too. I do want to mention Don, Ro there's Don Roberson and his wife are with us tonight. He works with 21st Century Global Missions. He's somebody we support. So maybe after services, you want to go and say, hey, we've got some new brochures out there on the table. As you go out on the right-hand side, you'll see a little bit about some of the work that they're doing. But we're really glad that he's here. And uh, as Doug said, anybody else who's visiting, we're really glad that you're part of our assembly tonight. Irene Baker has terminal cancer. We've been praying for her for quite a while. Austin Wentz, the grandson of John and Wilda, uh, he's undergoing treatments. It's a long-term thing. Wilda had her eye surgery. It's not going exactly like she had hoped, and she's supposed to see the doctor. Is it tomorrow or at least sometime this week? So we're hoping that what she's experiencing is normal. Uh, Don Dawson's not well. He's chronically ill. Wade Davis is still missing way over seven months now. Carolyn Wilcutt's recovering. Bobby Petty is Joe Garrett's friend. He has lung cancer. Doug's dad, Kelby Smith, has Parkinson's disease, and there, he catches a lot of viruses that come along. His immune system is down. Cody McGee, that, he was here today, wasn't he? Maybe he's here now. I don't know, but um, I think he's doing a lot better. Chopper Taylor, don't ask him how he's doing, but he's, still, he's in pain all of the time, and he's supposed to see another doctor, and hopefully they'll get on the right track. I would just pray that you'll get some relief, Chopper. Larry Kennedy has lymphoma. Danny Ramdahl, one of our missionaries, has kidney failure. Ben Roberts has pancreatic cancer. Paul Rollison has brain cancer. Lex Crossan has health issues. Norma Hemwell, uh, sister to Joan and Martha, is not well. Tony Presley has leukemia. Marty Woodruff has cancer. Patsy Bain's recovering from hip replacement. Eli Johnson's in the middle of taking treatments. You know how many more treatments he has? I don't know, but he had MRI and stuff last week, and they said the lymph nodes had strung and looked <coughs> normal and on his arm had gone down. Oh, good. So it sounds like he maybe is responding. <coughs> okay, well, that's. Away from Jackie Lambert, Dale's sister, had surgery. She's doing great. So, Dale, can we take her off the list? Take her off. Okay, I'll take her off later. We'll pray for her here in a minute. James Goddard has cancer. Uh, Michael McBrayer is dealing with leukemia. Pray for his family. Eddie's here tonight, too. That's two for two. Great to have him back. He's recovering from his surgery. John Roden's having health problems. Linda Garrett's looking at a procedure the 22nd of this month and probably going to have to have radiation for a period. And uh, Langford's a friend of Lisa's. She has some chronic pain issues. Lisa Hodgen is doing a lot better. She was here today, too. We're glad for that. Pardon? Yes. Are you? Where are you? Uh, I'm glad for that. Katie Bruce, of course, gave birth. Um, Drew seemed to be okay today. If anybody's wondering about poor Drew, 
Babies sleeping like three hours at a stretch. So, yay, wow, amazing. You remember those days, you parents so and grandparents. Uh, Andy Bailey is doing better after an amputation, getting fitted for a prosthesis. Marilyn's sister, Pat, is not doing well, has uh, some serious health issues. Paul Goldman has health problems. Emma Hutton has Hodgkin lymphoma. She's 19. Paula Nichols has stage 4 cancer. Crystal Milam is losing a kidney. Has that surgery taken place? Or? Uh, Allison Wade, not our Allison Wade. Boy, that was a confusion last week. Allison, our Allison's fine. But she knows this other Allison. Uh, she has um, cystic fibrosis, has already had a lung transplant in the past, having another lung transplant. Sharon Strickland has cancer. Uh, Rod Coggins has health issues. Wendy Long's dad's having heart problems. Grayson Miller has stage three cancer. Jackie Perigo has back issues. Olivia Pounders has dementia with seizures. She's in her 20s. Diane White. I, I, did I see her today? Okay. There she is. She's back there. Okay, she's been undergoing some tests, so we'll pray for her. And, uh, of course, remember Emily Kendrick. Her mother passed away last week. Funeral was yesterday. Okay, you have anybody else you want to put on this super long list of people? You don't? Let's... What did I say? You said her mother. Oh, I did. Grandmother, yes. She was like a mother. Yes. Well, I'm glad I have that back up there. Okay, yeah, please remember them. Okay, well, we'll have our prayer, and then we will begin our study. And thank you, thank you so much for being here. And did you notice just the preponderance of folks that have cancer? It's devastating. All right, let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for your blessings today. Thank you for this family here at Boonville. And we just cherish our association with one another. And thank you for blessing us in such a great place and great congregation of your people. We're glad that Don can be here with his wife. And we pray that you'll give him a continued safe journey home and uh, bless him in his work with 21st century missions. We pray for these sick people that we love and are part of our lives. We're praying for their full recovery, if it's your will, but certainly for their comfort. And we pray that for Irene Baker, that she'll have good days with her family. We pray for Austin Wentz, that he'll bear up under his treatments and bless his family, as no doubt it's very stressful for them. We pray for Wilda, that her eye surgery has gone well, and we pray you'll bless her as she sees the doctor soon. We hope that everything's okay, but whatever the case, we just pray that uh, her eyesight will get better. We pray for Don Dawson, who's not been well. We pray for the Davis family, especially for Sue, in that he's been missing for so long. We pray your blessings on Carolyn Wilcutt as she recovers. We pray for Bobby Petty, who has cancer. We pray for Doug's dad, Kelby Smith that he will have good days. We pray for his wife too, as um, when one's sick, they're both struggling. We just, we pray for both of them in this situation. We ask your continued blessings on Cody and his recovery, and it was good to see him 
seemingly walking well, and we just pray a full recovery for him. Bless Chopper Taylor that he'll get some relief from the severe pain he's been dealing with. We pray for Larry Kennedy, who has lymphoma, for Danny Ramdahl, who has kidney problems. Bless Van Roberts, who has cancer. Paul Rollison, who has brain cancer. Pray for Lex Crossan, who has health issues. We pray for Norma, that she will have good days. Bless Tony Presley in his cancer. Bless Marty Woodruff, who has cancer. We pray for Patsy as she recovers from her hip replacement surgery. Please be with Eli, and uh, we're thankful that he got a good, good result uh, recently in his testing. We pray that you'll continue to bless him as he undergoes this long series of treatments. Please continue blessing Jackie in her recovery, that she'll have a full recovery. We pray for James Goddard, who has cancer that has spread. We pray for Micah McBrayer, who has leukemia. We pray his treatments are going well. Bless Eddie Mooney. What a blessing it is to see him here today, but we pray that you'll be with him every day, that he'll get stronger, and that he'll be able to get back to the things he really enjoys doing. And thank you for his family support, for Myra and all who have promoted his healing. We pray for John Roten that he will have good days and bless Peggy in his situation. We pray for Linda as she anticipates this procedure soon. We pray it'll be a great success as I know she expects that and we just pray she'll recover quickly. Bless Ann Langford that she can have relief from pain she's been experiencing. We're thankful that Lisa Hodgins doing so much better. We pray for Katie and Drew as they are adjusting to life with Annie Kate and pray, pray they'll be able to get the rest that they need as they're providing for her needs. Pray for Andy Bailey and his adjustments following an amputation. Pray for Marilyn's sister, Pat Cooper, that she will have good days. Bless Paul Goldman, who has health issues. Emma Hutton, who has lymphoma. Paula Nichols, who has cancer. Crystal Malam, who's losing a kidney because of cancer. Pray for Allison Wade in upcoming lung transplant. Pray for Sharon Strickland, who has cancer. Bless Rod Coggins, who has heart issues, and Wendy Long's dad, who has some heart problems. We pray for Grayson Miller, who has stage three cancer. Bless Jackie Perigo, who's dealing with some back issues. Bless Olivia Pounders, who has dementia and is experiencing seizures at such a young age. We pray for Diane White, who's been having some tests, and we pray that all is well with her. And we pray for Emily's comfort in the death of her grandmother and everybody else in that family that's experienced the loss. And of course, we experience loss in that too, as one of our oldest members, perhaps our oldest member, has passed from this life. We thank you, Father, for the influence she had, and uh, so many here still remember her and her husband, and we just pray that those memories will help all of us to be faithful as we're moving along in this life too. We pray, Lord, your blessings on us as we study again from your word 
Help us to grow competent, strong, scriptural leaders in this congregation. Thank you for the blessing of what we have already, but inspire a new generation of men to have the desire to serve this church. And thank you, Lord, for the way your word equips us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're doing leadership, and we're really looking at the, the textual, textual parts of this right now. We're in First Timothy. Oh, I didn't get you your... Oh, you got it. You got it. Okay, good. I was afraid Hollywood wasn't ready. Hollywood is ready. He's got his equipment, so good. He'll be reading some scriptures for us tonight. We're in First Timothy chapter 3. We've already seen that it's a faithful saying that... A man who desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop, blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine. That's where we are now. Well, it keeps kicking off, I guess. I don't have it. So we're going we're gonna to continue with that. Maybe you can flag me if it comes back, okay? So we're going to continue with that, and we're going to have some reminders. So when we hear, this is kind of part two, right? And normally I was going to do my Saipan um, report tonight, but the elders were like, hey, you kind of left us on a cliffhanger there. We kind of like to wrap this one up. And, you know, after I had so many comments about how folks were ready to go drinking and smoking marijuana after services last time, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe it would be a good idea to kind of follow up on that and finish what I was trying to teach. So I will remind us that the first, the first thing I shared with us were two passages that make it clear about what God thinks concerning drunkenness, which is excessive use of alcohol. We looked at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19, 20, and 21 that gives a whole list of sins, but toward the end of that is drunkenness. And what he tells us about that is that the people who are committing those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty clear, yes? So if you are in the practice of drunkenness, then you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then we thought, well, now there is another list. That one is the one that we looked at was 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And again, we get this list, a very similar list. In the midst of that list is also the mention of drunkenness and reveling and such like. What we find out in that text is that a person who commits those sins, well, it's the same phrasing, same, actually it's the same exact words. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But we were looking at some passages that while those, while those are the description of excessive use of alcohol, which leads to drunkenness, which results in impairment, 
And by the way, I didn't mention this last time. I guess I should throw this out there. That one of the perils of alcohol use that leads to this drunkenness is that in your brain, you have these little receptors. They look kind of like T's or whatever. They might have different configurations. And the reason that they would have different configurations is because these receptors attach themselves to all kinds of things that you experience in an environment. There are actually cells in your brain, these receptors, whose job it is to attach themselves to alcohol. Alcohol is a naturally occurring thing. In fact, we looked at a passage, right? Psalm 104 and verse 15 said that not only did God create wine, but he created it for what purpose? Okay, it lifts the spirit, yes? Okay, well, how much would I need to lift a spirit? I had, had somebody come to me and say, well, not, not with regard to alcohol, but there are other drugs that people take. I had mentioned, for instance, when we were talking about mood-altering mood things like alcohol that makes you feel good. I talked about, um, you know, some of our depression medications. And someone come to me and said, hey, you know what? I take that. And I said, but you don't take the whole bottle, do you? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, so if you use a thing in moderation as it was designed to be used, then okay or not okay? Uh, okay, right? If you abuse it, what's going to happen? Well, in this, the case of the prescription drug, it, I don't know. It, it might so slow your heart rate that you die. I, I don't know what the complications are. I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you abuse medications, there are going to be untoward results that come. Okay. So we know God created it and he had a design for it, but not, did he design it for drunkenness? No, because that is an excessive use of that alcohol, yes? Yes. Okay, we looked also at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23. Do you remember what that said? Okay, this was Paul speaking to Timothy and he was telling him, hey, you know what? I know you got, I know you got stomach problems. If you take a little wine, th that will help it. As opposed to drinking what for his stomach problems? Well, I don't know, maybe water. Uh, water wasn't one of those things that was a good, safe thing to partake of. Now, someone uh, also mentioned to, uh, to the class that in the first century, you know, uh, the alcohol content of wine that we're talking about wasn't as strong as it would be today. And, th and that, that would absolutely be true. They did not have the means of processing wines and other alcoholic beverages like they do today. Nevertheless, could you or could you not become drunk on the wine that they had, no matter what the alcoholic content? Well, nod your head this way. Yeah, of course you could, because we find out that doing so is what? It's sin, and actually it's such sin that what will you not be able to do? Okay, you, you're not going to be able to go to the kingdom in the kingdom of heaven. So Timothy, I want you to drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Did Paul say, Timothy, man, I've heard about that stomach problem. You need to go get drunk and just lay around on the couch all day. You don't need to work with that. 
Is that what Paul was telling him to do? No, because alcohol possesses medicinal qualities. Yes. Now, where we got to the marijuana was, I said there are a lot of naturally occurring drugs. In fact, our drug system typically is not just out of laboratories. There are all kinds of things in nature that people use in order to provide health benefits for us. And that makes sense. I, I would much rather use a natural cure as opposed to something that was fab, um, put together in a laboratory. And so I mentioned marijuana. And one interesting uh, little fact is that not only does your brain have receptors for alcohol, guess what it also has receptors for? Cannabinoids or cannabis or Mary Jane or marijuana. People smoke that and guess what their body does in response to it? Their brain goes, yeah, oh yeah. There's something I recognize and I want to attach myself to that. Okay, peace. When you, when you read or you hear scientifically that it is discovered that your brain actually has a built-in receptor for cannabinoids, does that automatically ring a bell and you say, huh, if I was designed with receptors in my brain for those things, then potentially there is that natural substance out there that was created for some purpose. Doesn't that just make natural sense? If I'm already wired for it, then there must be some natural use. Now, what has happened is people have turned it into a recreational drug. Like a lot of drugs that we have that promote health and healing, instead of using it in such a way as to promote that healing, they use it to get high or they use it to get drunk. Now, let me say this. You say, well, Ken, I do not read anywhere in the scriptures where it says, thou shalt not ingest cannabinoids. I don't, I, is there even a Greek word for that? I, no, not that I know about. However, the end result is what we're looking for. If you are high on a drug, you're the same as being what? You're the same as being drunk. Or certainly you have lost self-control as a result of your excess in it. And one thing that I wanted to point out that we didn't get around to was that whether or not your brain has these connectors that can, can make a direct link with alcohol or THC or any other substance that exists, there is a right way that it can be used and there is a way that it is abused. When it is abused, we call it by a three-letter word. And you know what that word is? It is the word sin. So we've been looking at these and I gave you the... Are we still on? <laughs> okay. So we looked at... Like um, prescription pain medicine. I mean, there's a, there's a huge, um, I, I guess, uh, I don't know what word I want to use for it, but there's a lot of stuff in the media. If you read about the, the connection with um, addiction <coughs> to those painkillers. Okay. Absolutely. It's a, it's a chronic problem. It's a chronic problem. Okay, so. Uh, one of the biggest drugs that people are addicted to right now is prescription drugs. Okay, absolutely. 
Now, here is what sometimes happens. We say, well, the Bible says drunkenness is a sin, and I know that you get drunk from alcohol, therefore drinking alcohol is a sin. Is that true? You may be afraid to answer that question, but if Paul told Timothy he could drink some for his stomach's sake, you could drink it, yes? Within a what? Not in excess, not in excess, but in moderation. However, here's another thing to keep in mind, and that is you have receptors in your brain. I have receptors in my brain. I don't know. We're all different. Let's just say, and I don't know what the quantities, they're probably millions or billions, but let's just make it simple. If I have five receptors in my brain that once, once alcohol reaches those receptors and I feel satiated, I don't want any more. But what if your brain has 50 of them, 10 times the amount that I have? You start drinking you could have stopped at five and been satiated, but because of your natural predisposition to desire alcohol, you can't stop until you get the 50, and turns out you are slap out of your mind drunk. Should you have started with that alcohol? The answer would be absolutely not. Case in point is 1 Corinthians... 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 21. So we've got these Christians who are participating in love feasts. Oh, it's wonderful. You know, the Lord, he has, we've got the Lord's Supper. We're going to partake of the unleavened bread. Well, we call fruit of the vine, but they were drinking wine, okay? Except as they're gathering in homes or wherever it is that they are, some people apparently have a predisposition to the alcohol and as they're, okay, brace yourself. We're talking about a church fellowship here. Get ready, Rick. We're talking about a church fellowship here where people are observing the Lord's Supper, but they start drinking wine and guess what happens? Okay, will you read our text for us? For in eating, everyone taketh before or after his own supper and one is hungry, and another is drunken. Now, you say, well, you know, sometimes you see the word drunk, that just means that they drank something. Not in this text. This drunk means they were drunk. They had drunk, they had, they had ingested alcohol to the extent that what had been a gathering for the commemoration of the Lord's Supper actually becomes a drunken feast. And people start losing control. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Now, this is just a side note, but do you wonder why we went from wine to maybe just non-alcoholic grape juice? Could you imagine? We're passing the tray, and someone who is has a predisposition toward alcoholism starts drinking the wine. They don't pass the tray to you. They just start drinking it all up. Is that good or bad? That's horrible. And in this setting, Paul just absolutely rebukes them for what was happening. Flip the coin on that and look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 21. Now, we say, okay, you know, it's kind of like a fearful thing. We say, since drunkenness 
is a result of drinking too much alcohol, then I should never drink the alcohol. And may, maybe that's true if you, if you have a predisposition toward drinking too much alcohol. I, I'll just give myself as an example. I have no idea if I have a predisposition toward an excess of alcohol because I have so many of those receptors. So you know what I've never done? I've never drunk alcohol. Simply because I know that if it were so that I would slip into drunkenness, it would be sin and that would keep me out of the kingdom of God. Is it wrong to drink alcohol? Alcohol in and of itself is not an evil thing in and of itself. Any more than a handgun is evil in and of itself. It's when somebody picks it up and fires it at somebody, it becomes an evil device. Same thing with the alcohol. It has a purpose. God designed it that way. But when we use it in an excessive manner, we become drunk. It becomes the means by which we sin. What about food? Is, is gluttony sinful? If gluttony is sinful, you should never put another piece of food in your mouth because it might lead to gluttony. It might. I mean, is that true? If you, do people have dispositions toward eating too much? They absolutely do. They absolutely do. So what we need, instead of just banning everything that exists, we need to do what? We need to have self-control. Self-control. Okay, so read this text for us. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Okay, so here's the other thing. Let's just say... I only have, I don't know, the five receptors. I'm satiated with alcohol, never get drunk. I always drink it to the point where I'm satisfied. I don't want any more. And it's just so that it cuts short, I never get drunk. I say, I have the freedom. It's not necessarily a sin for me to drink my alcohol, so I'm going to do it. I have no problem with it. But your brother over here, he has 50 receptors. And every time he touches alcohol, he gets drunk. And yet he says, wait a minute, now brother so-and-so, it's okay for him to drink it, so it's okay for me to drink it. And I'm going to drink it in the privacy of my home. But every time he does, guess what happens to him? He gets drunk. This text says if you, if you create a situation where you are emboldening a brother or sister to do something that is not necessarily good for them and will lead to sin, you know who is culpable for that? Well, you say they sin, they're responsible. That's true, but what does this text say? I will not eat meat or drink wine or any other alcoholic beverage if that is going to create a situation that is going to embolden my brother or sister to commit a sin. That's the idea of creating the stumbling block. I'm, the st I'm creating the stumbling block. Now, I don't want, to, don't want you to miss this point either because oftentimes we just pinpoint the alcoholic use. Uh, what else does he mention in this text? Meat. Guess we'll have to be vegetarians. Yes or no? No. Can you eat meat? You can, with one exception. Now, in this case, you're talking about uh, probably both of those uh, uses are talking about how, okay, my brother, he used to be an idolater. And in their idolatrous practice, they offered meat and wine, just like the Jews did. 
in service and offering to their God. And now that they've left that, they find out that you're eating it and it offends them. It offends them in the sense that, not that, oh no, I'm offended, what was me? Shame on you, not that, but it is going to embolden them to sin. Now when they eat it, they're thinking about it differently from you. They're thinking about the worship aspect and it's possible that that one little hook right there might lead them back into their idolatry. That's the point of that text. But don't miss the subtlety of the extension of that. If anything causes me to create a stumbling block that's going to lead my brother to sin, then should I do it or should I not do it? 1 Corinthians 8.13, you know, Paul said, eat and make my brother thin, eat and make while I live. Absolutely. I won't do it. If that's going to cause a brother or sister to stumble, I'm not going to do it. Okay, so here I am. I'm thinking, you know, I, I know that alcohol in and of itself is not a sinful thing. But I ask myself, is it a good idea then to go out here and be drinking? Is it a good idea? I, Ken, I never got drunk. But I was in an establishment where maybe there are some people that get drunk. Or my brother who has an inclination toward drunkenness sees me drinking and thinks what? Thinks it's okay for me to drink. And then by extension, clearly, if he can do it, I can do it. I'm wondering with you some other things that maybe the scripture will say. And these are kind of lengthy, so we're going to just enjoy that lush voice. But these are quite instructive one of them is Proverbs chapter 31, and I know you often think of this text in terms of uh, the, the, the woman that is described there, you know, the virtuous wife. But actually, if you go back to verses 4 to 7, you have a warning that's issued in the use of alcohol. And then while we're writing these, also... In the same book, Proverbs chapter 23, we're going to look at verses 29 to the end of the chapter, verse 35. Okay, if you'll read those, you can just read them in line. And I might stop you once in a while, I might not. So you just be on edge the whole time. Okay. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for the kings to drink wine. Okay, no, wait a second. See, I told you. Not for kings. Why not for kings? What do kings do? Sit around the palace all day. They, they enact the, they're the ruler. Why would a ruler not want to drink wine? We already saw wine was created for what purpose? Lifts the spirit, makes you merry. But if you get to drinking too much of that, what kind of ruler are you going to be? Bad decisions. <laughs> You're going to make a lot of bad decisions. Okay, okay, keep going. Nor for princes strong drink lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Okay, does wine have a use? Again, according to this passage, does it have a use? Yeah, uh, you're terribly depressed, what would it help you do? Just kind of give you some relief. But if you're a king making this... If you're anybody who's not just sitting around the house depressed all the time, if you have a job to do, you got work. Have you ever heard of somebody getting on alcohol and quitting their job because they just can't? Of course we have. 
I mean, that's the story, right? That's what scares us about alcohol to start with. Okay, now uh, read this next text from chapter 23. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, that they tarry long at the wine, that they go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thy heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, they shall be he that, that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Um, anybody see anybody you know described in those verses? You don't have to answer that. I'll speak for myself. Yes, I've seen these people. I know these people. They have injuries. They don't know where they got them. They get on alcohol. Otherwise, a peaceable, kind, generous person gets on alcohol, becomes a raving idiot, becomes so angry, destroy things around them, just lose absolute control of themselves. Now, I've heard people talk about happy drunks. I don't know any. Never saw. Well, Timothy's stomach. If I were to use it medicinally, but uh, uh, if they make an elixir, let's get down to this. Let's get down to this. If someone makes you a cough medicine that has alcohol in it and you drink that for your cold, do not lose sleep overnight thinking that you have lost your soul and you are going to hell for it. Okay? Alcohol was created for what purpose? It has, does it have a medicinal use or not? Yes, it does. Absolutely it does. Okay, over-the-counter coffin. You know an alcoholic will buy things that you would never think you could even drink that have alcohol in them. Listerine. That have alcohol in them and they will drink that. Why do they do it? Because they have a call in their brain that they have stimulated that says, I am a little cell in here that is used to getting pounded by alcohol. Please send me some more. You see what alcohol does. Oh, there you go, knocking teeth. We were talking about Gene Hester's remedies. And of course, uh, absolutely, a lot of medication is going to have alcohol in it. If you take that medication, is that okay or not? Absolutely it would be. Would it be okay for you to go out here to the restaurant and start drinking? It would not be okay. Why is that? Because your brother, who is influenced by you, who doesn't know whether he gets drunk off of an interlude with alcohol or not, becomes overcome, he becomes drunk and then you're going to wear him out over it. Guess whose fault that was? That was, that was your fault. Okay, I want you to notice something that we read in this text. That poor guy, what did he do with that wine? He tarried long at the wine. What does that mean he did? He wasn't drinking it for medicine, was he? 
He wasn't shaving with it. He wasn't uh, washing his mouth out to make it fresh. He was drinking it for the express purpose of getting drunk. Now, we've talked a lot about this word, wine, because I, don't, I want people to understand that for the, I can't, in fact, I can't even think of anything that in and of itself, all by itself, that was created by God is sinful. It is our abuse of things that causes the sinful nature of it. Notice what happens in this description in our text. He is not given to wine. It doesn't say he can't ever drink wine. It says he's not given to it. Question, what does it mean to be given to something? It means that, first of all, he doesn't drink it in excess. He is not addicted to it. Literally, the word means not long at the cup. Now, what I like by what uh, Sister Taylor, uh, Shirley Taylor said last time was that, you know, in that first century, uh, typically table wine was reduced. They added water to it in order to bring down the alcoholic content. So, okay, it might be that you could take a bottle right now and just drink it down, I don't know, and it make you drunk. Maybe that's, maybe that's true. Back then, if you're going to get drunk off of it, guess what you had to do? Drink a lot of it, which literally meant you were what? Long at the table. Long at the cup. If you are going to be a leader in the church, you ought not be touching alcohol. Why? Influence is one thing, but let's get beyond the influence of it. What else? How do you know when you... Pardon? You could be using your time more wisely. Well, you could be using your time more wisely. But number two, do you know when you're going to stop? Oh, no, you don't. And what if you stop when you're slapped drunk? What have you done now? You've committed sin. Okay. For a leader in the Lord's church, he's not to be given to wine. He's not to be in excess in wine. He is not to be a drunkard. He is not even to, to seek after it for fear of... But you say, that's just our elders, right? That's, that gives me a pass. Whoa, wait a minute. Now, when we started this thing, remember way back when we started this thing? I said, this is an examination of leadership. These are the things that the Bible requires of our leaders. This is something that all of us ought to aspire to. And I said, who's with me? And everybody went, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if this is good for our leaders, who also ought to be good for? It ought to be. Again, you got a cold? It's going to have alcohol in it. Don't fear that you've lost your soul because you've taken a teaspoon of cough medicine or you repeat that every four hours. You're using it for medicinal purposes. Uh, you, you take medication for uh, depression. The Bible says that wine is for depression. I will let out a secret that I don't know I've ever shared publicly, but my Aunt Neely, when she died at 103 years old, she took a glass, a little glass of wine every day. You know why she did that? Because she was a drunk. No. She did that because the doctor said, you should take this. This is going to help with your circulation. She took it 
So, the answer is yes, and the answer is no. Yes, it has a purpose. No, it's not necessarily sinful. Given that, it's used in a godly manner. As regards leaders in the Lord's church, and all of us, yeah, count on us, Ken. All of us trying to seek a level of righteousness that is different from the world, we're going to seek to abstain from things that have the potential to lead us into a condition wherein we can't enter the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in playing with anything that has the potential of keeping me from my eternal home. Anybody with me on that? All right. Let's have a prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your blessings today. Thank you for the responses of people whose, whose hearts have been touched. And we especially pray for them, but we pray for us too, Lord. Um, we pray that we will be dedicated and determined in our service with you and that we'll know that we will have assured victory. We thank you, Lord, for our study. I pray that you will raise up great leaders in this congregation. Bless us as we go away from this place. Keep us safe on our journeys home. And if it's your will, we pray that you'll give us a new day that we can exercise our faith like we've never done before. In Jesus' name, amen.